Don't you want devoted followers who leave their families for you, give their money to you, give their bodies to you, give up their lives for you, consider you God? Is Hamza's community a brainwashed cult or the result of a genius business model? Well, in this video, I spent two hours with his top students answering questions on everything from business, personal growth, life, and making a ton of money. And by the end of this video, you will understand how Hamza's business model works and how you can implement the same strategies to make yourself more money than you know what to do with. Let's get started. So I'll introduce myself quickly. I think Hamza's um, done a relatively good job of that already. My name is Charlie, I'm 25 years old. Currently making about $8 million a year. That's what we are set to do this year. Um, next year, we'll do about 20 or 18. I don't know what the average mean or median age is of people in this group, but I started the same way that you guys are starting. Whether you're in you know, your mum and dad's house at a desk, or for me, it was my sister's art shed. But I want to quickly show you guys what's possible with basically seven years of focus and hard work. This is how much money I made in the last three months. This is our company Stripe. 20 to 30% of our payments come from bank transfer. So this is about 70% of it. So you can see in the last three months, we made 1.5 million pounds. The three months prior to that was 1.6 million. So through Stripe alone, we'll do about six or seven this year, plus the bank transfers is nearly eight figures. Yesterday, we made 18,000 pounds. This is possible. I want that to settle in for everyone. I am no different to you. The only thing that makes me different is seven years of hard work and focus and not giving up. I started as a 18 year old kid with absolutely no clue as to how to orient myself in the world or to work or focus. I had no business. All I had was a $67 course from Ty Lopez. And from that, this was born. So I want to invite you guys to ask any questions you have about anything to do with entrepreneurship, making money. I'll leave anything to do with women and spirituality to Hamza. Thank you. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I can make money, but a lot of that stuff I'm still relatively fresh with. But, you know, let's get into these questions and, um, you know, I'll go through them. And if it makes sense for you guys to unmute and provide some context, we can do that. Um, I only see like five or six questions in the chat. Um, and since there's 50 of you, that's obviously a little disappointing. So let's get lots of questions in there, fill it up. I want you guys to ask anything and everything. And um, we'll go from there. <clears throat> so is that a good hand? Or should I just crack on? Or do you want to 100%. Sounds, sounds great. Yeah. Write a question in chat right now, boys. Fantastic. All right. So we've got Omar coming in with, what would you do to scale a coaching business to 10K a month within one year starting from scratch? So the, the most imperative thing the, you know, the genesis of your coaching business is going to be something that you're probably familiar with called product market fit. Um, if you don't have a service or a coaching product that people don't want to buy, and if you're not able to translate that into a compelling offer that has resonance with the market, nothing you do will work. So what I need you to do before you even start is verify that people actually want what you're selling. Okay. The reason Hamza can basically start an honest school and Don's Academy and start making all the money is because there's some latent conditions with the market and he can basically position his thing to suit the needs of the market. The only thing that you really need to focus on, man, is just reaching out to people. And I know that sounds painfully simple and painfully straightforward, but when I reflect on what got me to six figures in the first year of business, it was basically just making like 300 cold calls a day. So if you've got a minute spare and any waking moments that you're not doing anything, just send outreach to people. Um, everyone overcomplicates this. You don't need a fancy website. You don't need a fancy funnel. 
You don't need a logo, you don't need business cards, you don't need a virtual assistant, you don't need anything. All you need is something that people want and a voice. And you reach out to people, I would make 300 cold calls a day. You can't find the phone numbers, do cold messages, do cold emails. It's simple, but it's difficult, if that makes sense. It's not hard to figure out how to get to 10K a month, you just need to do that consistently. Mm. So I hope that's useful. Let me ask you a question, Charlie. So let's say for these guys there, because he said, okay, start in the coaching business. Let's say he's posting onto YouTube and he's doing some kind of like self-improvement coaching. He's made a lot of progress in productivity, no fat, whatever, and that's what he's going to coach with. Um, what kind of funnel would you set up in that case? Let's say he's got 300 subscribers and he hasn't monetized yet. Mm, I would just have a, a super simple web page. I wouldn't go for any email opt-ins or anything like that. Um, I can show you what our funnel looks like. And my funnel has been the same ever since we started a YouTube channel for our business, which is a coaching business. Um, obviously not in the health, the um, self-improvement space, but I can show you what ours looks like. Please. Um, so if I just go onto any video. Um, we've been running this funnel for two years now, and it's booked us probably 15,000 to 20,000 appointments in the last two years. It's made us millions and millions. And I basically, we just built this. So simple funnel structure for the coaching offer. This is not, we're not looking for an email opt-in or a tripwire funnel or anything to get any phone numbers or anything, because you're not optimizing for that. You're optimizing for appointments. They're already going to be warm coming directly from YouTube. So you call them out in the beginning, and then you basically say you're one step away from, and then insert dream result with some sort of risk reversal. I like this line, the whole pair and results basis. And then all you're doing here is you're making, or just, and this video isn't really like, a lot of this video for me is just proof of results and um, demo and stuff like that. If you haven't got proof of results, if you haven't got case studies you can run through, all you need to do is basically just create a Miro board of your process. Because if it looks fancy, people will believe it. Primary example of this is if I go here, what you're looking to try and do is build out something that looks like this. Because if you haven't got social proof, you need to have um, what you could call system proof, which just demonstrates that you've actually thought through the process behind which you're using to get people the result. And it needs to be tangible. They need to see it. If you've got loads of clout and loads of authority, you don't need to have too much tangibility. But if you're new and you're sort of still haven't got any social proof yet, you need to just draft out this process and then all you're doing in this funnel is running people through at a very high level and then we're just simply directing them to a sales call and as you can see you know you just basically have this like this um and then if you've got social proof if you can copy this but i would recommend just checking out what we did um because this took us from zero to like 800 grand a month that's what i would use very nice you could also just use a straight calendar link um and not mess around with the funnel and just see how calendly goes for the beginning um, but as you get more traffic and your audience grows, I would recommend using the funnel. Mm. Um, so Tom says, I have a Twitter, LinkedIn ghostwriting agency. I want to develop a done for you or done with you offer around the whole inbound ecosystem, including YouTube. Right now, I don't have a big enough YouTube channel, but I'm working on it. What would you do to develop that service? Well, my first question, Tom, is why do you want to develop that service? Read this. So to bring more value, well, how much money is the agency currently making at the moment? 3K a month. And how many clients do you have? Three. Yeah, so dude, like, I don't think you should add anything. I'm assuming your goal is to get to 10K a month, right? And you'll learn this as you develop as a business person that you usually find there's more leverage in subtraction than there is an addition. For example, um, we have one product. We don't have anything more than one product. Now that product, credit rights, due does have a lot of depth to it. But if you can't get to 10 grand a month with one product, you shouldn't really be in business. So I wouldn't even worry about creating a done for you or done with you offer. Because all you're going to do is add operational complexity to a machine that doesn't even facilitate scale. 
So I wouldn't worry too much about it now. Um, nail the Twitter, LinkedIn, like ghostwriting thing. If, if I were you, I would just pick Twitter or just LinkedIn. I wouldn't do both. I would just pick one, become an absolute demon in that niche, conquer the niche, and then create a done with you or do it yourself course around it. You only need one platform and one niche to get to 100 grand a month. And the more you add, the slower you are. So I would just, I know it's not really answering your question on how you develop it, but a lot of these questions come back to a, um, incorrect paradigm. So if anything, instead of trying to add a service, I would remove one and just focus on Twitter or just focus on LinkedIn. Then you become the go-to person in that space. There's a reason why Hamza only helps dudes. Now I'm sure that, you know, you, you might have some women in Adonis school as well or Adonis Academy, but you're tailored towards one person because if you start helping everyone, then you're not really helping anyone. At what point do you think he should consider something new? When he has exhausted the size of the market. So I can give you a prime example of the list. Um, so right now, Imperium does 700, 800 grand a month in the agency owner market. And we're starting to notice the crack showing in terms of diminishing return with scale. Because we're at this point now where there's only so much money you can spend on running ads to 100,000 people. There's only so many times you can cold email the same people. There's only so many times you can cold message all these people. And so what's starting to happen with our setting team is people in the market are being reached out to mul like by multiple setters and like the cold emails. The so we're, we're seeing this slow down trend in our appointment booking systems. Very, very, very small. But when you, when you scale and when you become number one in the niche, which is a very egotistical, narcissistic thing to say, but there's no one that trumps us in scale. Um, when you get there, you have to be aware that the true ultimate constraint of a business, the true ultimate constraint of scale is the total, total available market. So for me, and for, I believe it was Tom for Tom's situation here, the only thing that you really have to do is grow this thing to the point at which the market will allow it to, and then you explore new markets. It's like your business is a goldfish, and the market is the bowl in which the goldfish sits in. The goldfish, the business, can grow to the size of the bowl, but no further. And so only when you can grow any further because of the market, you explore new markets. It's kind of how like all the great conquerors throughout history did it. They conquered their, you know, native region, and then they, they don't, their empire would only be able to grow to the, you know, the boundaries or the, um, you know, these arbitrary borders that countries would set. And as soon as they grew their empire to that big, and it started to sort of push over, then they had to go into other places. Um, so like Genghis Khan in Mongolia kind of got sick of it and went into China. <laughs> He's like, that's kind of what you have to do. But if you try and conquer Mongolia and China and Russia and Persia at the same time, mm. you don't really conquer anything. So you have to just, it's like, um, it's like when you've got a magnifying glass and you direct the sun to a specific point and you can literally start a fire with that. Imagine if you were flicking the magnifying glass like every two seconds to try and get more sun. It doesn't work. Focus is the key. Hmm. So that's the answer to that question. I hope that helps you, Tom. Abel or Abel says, what mindset got you through those 80-hour work weeks? Did you ever have any doubts? Yeah, so doubt is a very natural manifestation of development and character growth. Um, what doubt really represents is, it's kind of like imposter syndrome. But... Let me get me all philosophical on you guys for a second here. So, okay, so we'll, I'll answer the first question in a second, which is what mindset got you through the 8-hour weeks. But you guys need to understand that doubt is going to come for you no matter what. Um, you're going to doubt yourself every step of the way. And what you need to understand is that it's very normal, it's very natural, and there's a very specific reason it happens. And if you understand the reason, um, you can conquer it. So let me, um, let me zoom in. You guys are going to have to bear with my pretty terrible artistic prowess here. But imagine for a second that this is you. And over here is another version of you. So this is where you are right now, right? And this is where you want to be, okay? 
So now and future. So this is um this is version two of you. This is version one. Now, what you have to understand is that psychologically, um, your brain works in the same way that nature works, right? It's like an organism. It has what we call a survival bias. It wants to be. It wants to survive. So this is your current state of self. This is your current self-image, your current identity. Everything that you've built up over the last 18, 25 years, however old you are, is who you believe you are right now. And what happens is because of, well, there's a lot of psychological reasons as to why you want to grow, but eventually you grow into this age where you become conscious as a young man, maybe like 20 years old, 16 years old, whenever it happens, and you become aware that you want to achieve more, which is represented by a goal. So a goal is basically your brain telling you and your spirit and your consciousness trying to level up. And so what it, to do that, it basically creates a goal. You don't. What you have to understand is you do not want to achieve your goal. You do not want 10 grand a month. What you want is to build the character and to become the person who can do that. Goals represent personal development and they represent growth of character more than anything. So everyone says they want to make 10,000 a month, but what they really want is to become the person that can do that. And that's the first thing you have to understand to achieving your goal is you're not going after 10 grand a month. You're going after the person that can. So instead of trying to make $10,000 a month, you have to ask yourself, who do I have to become to do that? Become that person and the goal will manifest as a result of it. This is called obliquity. It's a mental model where you achieve what you want through its opposite. Because if we ask ourselves, well, how do you achieve your goal? Well, it's actually quite simple. You become he who can. And so if you ask yourself, like someone who makes $10,000 a month, what do they look like? How do they carry themselves? What books have they read? What belief systems do they hold? And then understand that your identity is malleable. Because then this begs the question of this. If I ask all of you right now, um, I'm just going to assume here that the, the goal for everyone is $10,000 a month. And if I ask you all right now, do you think, I want, I want to see some answers in the, in the chat here, right? I want to see some answers in the chat. Do you guys think that you have a chance that you right now have a chance of becoming successful and getting to 10 grand a month? Let me see your answers in the chat. So I'm going to break something to you. You have no chance at all. Because if you were the person who could make 10 grand a month, you already would be. And I'll tell you who does have the chance. That's the person that you're becoming. So this is a sobering reality. You need to look at yourself in the mirror and understand that you aren't the person that can make it happen. But that's okay because you can change. So a lot of people, they use self-belief as a coping mechanism. And you need to have self-belief, but don't have belief in who you are right now. Have belief in who you are becoming. Because who you are becoming is the person that gets the job done. So understand that who you are right now can't make 10 grand a month. But who you are becoming can. And so what you need to do, instead of having belief in your ability to achieve your goal, you have to have belief in your ability to change. And that's the fundamental first principle of goal achievement. Don't believe in you being able to achieve your goal. Believe in your ability to become he who can. Because if you want to get to 10 grand a month, all you have to do is become the person that can do that. For example, my next goal is to get, is to, get to 100 million a year. Do I believe that I can do that? No. Because in my current state, I'm only capable of making eight figures. So if I want to make 100 million a year, I have to become a completely different person. I have to undergo a complete transformation of self. I have to change my belief systems. I have to learn new skills. I have to rid myself of bad habits and bad belief systems. And my identity has to shift completely. So this question was basically, how do I deal with doubt? 
And the reason this all comes full circle is because of this. Let me just scroll back up here to find the question. So here's what's going to happen. You are going to set a goal. And that goal is basically a snapshot of the future. And what that goal really represents is your unconscious drive to develop and grow. And we can call this thing version two. So for example, I've got Charlie version one, which was me, you know, doing stupid sh And then Charlie version two, which was just doing slightly less stupid sh And so what's going to happen, as I said at the beginning of this, this sort of tangent, is that who you are right now has a survival instinct. Psychologically, this person, this self-image, this identity does not want to die. But in order for you to become version two, you have to, metaphorically speaking, kill yourself. Metaphorically speaking. is You have to commit psychological suicide to develop. Because if you want to become the next person, this person has to make way. And so what's going to happen is that if you guys are noticing, you've probably noticed this, on your self-improvement journey, on your journey to make more money, you're probably experiencing lots of doubt, lots of fear, Lots of, you want to sleep in, don't want to go to the gym, I'm going to give in to this impulse, I'm going to reply to that girl, I'm not going to do that outreach. You know, All of these things start to come up that seem like they're blockading your ability to achieve what you want. What they are, are basically your current sense of self kicking and screaming, trying to survive. So every time you have doubt about your ability to do what you want, you have to understand that all that is, is that's your identity screaming from the rooftops, no, don't let me go. Kind of like your current identity is like a friend that you know you've got to get rid of, but every time you try to, they make your life living hell. And so this is why, in order for you to achieve anything, you have to go through pain. And all pain really is, is self-inflicted suffering as a result of change, at least psychologically in, in this context. And so the answer to the question of did you have any doubts, absolutely. I have doubts every day. Every entrepreneur doubts everything all the time. You're not trying to eliminate doubt, you're trying to understand and manage it. Because when you recognize doubt as an unconscious force coming from your current sense of self trying to survive, you can empathize with it and you can say, okay, well, not today, Mr. Current Self. And here's the beautiful thing. Every time you push through that doubt, you push through the pain, and you know, basically this is your, your will, essentially your willpower is um, developed where pain meets like resistance and effort and all that stuff. And that's how it works. So yes, I have doubts. I still do. Everyone does. They come when you're trying to change. The mindset that got me through the 80-hour work weeks, well, that's another question entirely. What got me through the 80-hour work weeks? Honestly, it was shame. So this is the thing everyone doesn't understand. You don't need or want to be motivated by positive emotion all the time. Nietzsche said that he who has a why can bear almost any how. And that's a very powerful quote to sit on for a long time. And negative emotions are far more powerful than positive emotions. So I'll give you guys some vulnerable contacts. And you're going to have to forgive me if I get slightly emotional with this. When I was 11 to 12 years old, um, really to, to 13 years old, I was heavily bullied in secondary school. I was picked on, I was beaten up, verbally abused, this, that, and the other, whatever. What I didn't realize for a long time is that this basically created trauma in my life. And by having this trauma, I could have gone one of two ways. The first way is towards hedonism, which is where I deal with my trauma and I try to reduce the pain by drinking, by sleeping around, drugs, etc., etc. The other way that you can deal with it is work. If you go this route, which is the one that I unfortunately was psychologically predisposed to venture on, this is called post-traumatic growth. Now, the reason this comes full circle as to what made you go through the 80-hour weeks, 
the reason I went through the 80-hour weeks is because I didn't want to have a job. Because if I had a job, I was giving someone control over me. And that's what bullying really is, is it's giving a tyrant the ability to control your life. And so I was repelled from, from, this, you know, from this trauma into my work. And so the reason that I worked 80 hours a week unconsciously, and I now understand this because I've done a lot of reflection and therapy and stuff, is because I was so terrified of being bullied again. And so for those of you that have been through some bad shit, and I'm sure you all have, for those of you that have been through trauma, whether it's an abusive father, whether it's bullying, whether it's being rejected by a girl, whatever it might be, you need to lean into it and you need to use it as a weapon because this is the strongest form of fuel you have for your work ethic because it's very difficult to be motivated by gain, but it's very, very easy to be motivated by shame or anger. So, you know, there's obviously a lot of spirituality around this where you don't want to necessarily vibrate on a low frequency and operate out of you know, negative emotion. But the, the thing that got me through what worked for me, and I can tell you what worked for me for the, for the first, you know, three, four, five years in business where I was just pulling these ridiculous hours was the understanding that um, I just didn't want to go through what I went through when I was 11 or 12. And so that was basically what got me through was trauma. You can use it or it can use you. Um, and that's that. So let's have a look at the next question. Your best strategy for breaking false beliefs or beliefs that aren't in alignment with our goals? Yeah, so this is a really interesting question. So you need to understand that I want everyone to write this down. Um, identity trumps biology in command over the body. So identity trumps biology in command over the body. And what this means is that the strongest force you have for a change in your behavior is your identity. And so the question here is, what's your best strategy for breaking false beliefs or beliefs that aren't aligned with our goals? You have to line your goal up and your, your, your behaviors will always align with what you identify as. Let me tell you a story. I recently, um, I say recently, in the last couple of months, developed this habit of socially smoking. And I'd never really smoked before, but for some reason, I just started socially smoking when I was out with friends, um, this, that, and the other. I moved to Dubai, cigars and cigarettes, and like every now and then in the evening with my business partner, we'd have a cigarette, whatever. Then I started to notice that I became addicted, where I'd suddenly start smoking on my own, or if I had like a sort of five minutes free of work, I'd start smoking. And there's a quote from Warren Buffett that says that the chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. And what was basically happening to me is this addiction was creeping up on me without me even realizing it. And so I needed to get rid of this smoking habit because I knew that, you know, it was, you're literally killing yourself by smoking. It's the biggest form of self-sabotage there is, by the way. And so what happened is um, I basically made the decision to stop smoking. But what I did is every time I had the craving or the urge to smoke, I told myself verbally aloud, I'm not a smoker. It is the strongest and single best tool I've ever found for personal change is to disassociate your identity with the thing that has you in its grips. If you have a porn addiction and you struggle with that, the easiest way to overcome it is to say, I don't watch porn anymore. I, I, it's, porn's not for me. I don't really associate it with porn. Example, I've never done cocaine in my life, right? It's never been, a, I've never had drugs as a vice. I've never touched them. Weed once, it was a horrible experience. I've never done anything else. I don't associate with drugs naturally. So if I go to a party and there are drugs there, my immediate response is, oh, it's not my thing. It's not for me because I don't identify with it. 
And so what you can do is, and you guys are all going to have this stuff. There's going to be vices that other men struggle with that you don't. For example, gambling. For those of you that have never gambled before, like me, for example, um, if you go to Vegas and everyone's about to go out and blow a load of money, you say, oh, it's not my thing. It's not really for me. I just don't, I just don't gamble. I've never done it. It's not me. That's your identity talking. And so when you have a vice that's currently, you know, prevalent in your life and sort of ruling your life, the easiest way for you to overcome it is to remove your identity from it. It's a lot easier said than done, but it's the most powerful and fastest way for you to change your behavior is to start telling yourself that it's not you. And all you have to do is resist the impulses and the urges for about three days and just continuously tell yourself. Another example of this is I used to get sick all the time. When I was building my business, I didn't take very good care of my health. And what I would do, which is you know, a year, year, year or two ago, is um, you know, if I went to the gym um, or if I was on public transport, I'd always be using hand sanitizer. I'd always be washing my hands. And I'd always, like, after I come back from the gym from my phone, I'd spray it. Because of COVID, I was all worried about getting sick. I had a really bad experience with COVID. And so my identity started to mold into this person that became sick all the time. And that now, every time I have a urge to, you know, um, spray my phone or use hand sanitizer or wash my hands like a, like an obsession, I tell myself, oh, I don't get ill. I'm not the kind of person that gets sick. I've just got a great immune system. I don't get ill. I don't get, it's just, it's not my, it's not my thing. And if I ever get ill, it's just a quick cold, it goes away. And I can tell you for fact that in the last year, guess what? I haven't got ill, <laughs> right? And because of that, now that I'm the kind of person, I genuinely now believe that I don't get ill. I genuinely believe that I don't smoke. I genuinely believe I don't watch porn. I genuinely believe I don't watch video games. Those are all vices I used to have. And my one core strategy for overcoming them and breaking those false beliefs around them was I don't do that. Now, the one thing it gets, it's a lot harder to do this, to introduce a behavior. So let's say that you want to become someone that works out. Saying I'm the kind of person that works out, it will still work, but not with the same level of effect because it's easier to remove these habits through the change of identity than it is to, to get rid of them. So that's what's worked for me. Um, it does program the subconscious, but what you want to start doing is telling everyone around you who knows you struggle with this vice that you no longer do. Because the best method of accountability is, um, is, the, is, is, is the social channel. Right? Because I've come on here now and I've told all of you that I don't smoke. And so if Hamza ever comes to Dubai or I ever go to see Hamza and their cigarettes, I can't smoke now because I've told him I don't. And I've told myself I don't. So that's basically the fastest way to do it. So identity trumps biology in control over the body. So biology are the impulses, the urges. These are the things that come up and, oh, I want the cigarette or I want to watch the porn or I want to eat the burger. But that's biology talking. But what's more powerful than that is your identity. And if you don't believe me, just go and look at someone that does a hunger fast or a hunger strike, sorry. People locked in prison, they go on hunger strikes. Their whole body and biology is completely falling apart, but their identity is, no, I am strong. I am the person like Gandhi, all these people. Like I, I'm the, like Gandhi just told like millions of people, I'm going to go on hunger strikes. I'm the kind of person that's going to do that. Now he, can't, now he can't eat. It doesn't matter what his body tells him, his identity will not let that food pass his lips. So that's the, that's, that's the biggest piece of advice I have for anyone who wants to change their identity. And when you can do this, you can basically become a, um, like a, an entrepreneurial um, chameleon where you can change it at a moment's notice. So for example, if I'm about to step into a boardroom with a bunch of C-level executives and I'm offered a cigarette from them, I'll smoke it. Because there comes a time where you have to break your identity and you have to compromise your value and moral system to achieve your goal. Not all the time. It's very rare that happens. Very rare that happens. But you can't afford to become binary in your state. 
because sometimes it's beneficial. The only thing that matters to me is my goal. I will never sacrifice certain moral clauses to get there. For example, I'd never murder someone for my goal. I'd never break that identity because I'm not the kind of person that's going to murder someone, right? So I'm not going to do it. But sometimes you have to be able to release it. For example, um, Bo and I, my business partner, have said, when we hit 20 million a year, we're going to have a cigar together, right? Although I don't smoke, every now and then I'm going to indulge. So I just wanted to um, clarify that. Okay, so that's three questions done in half an hour. <laughs> let's keep it. Let's keep it rolling. So Jack says it seems natural. The natural path to scale to X amount and then coach others is a skewed perspective because I have I have because the only successful agencies I know are doing uploading YouTube videos. Do you have a program range for a long time? Yeah, dude. I think this is a faulty belief from you, Jack, with regards to this. Um, yeah, this belief you've got. There's loads of agencies that make multi six figures, seven figures without any YouTube channel or without any coaching model. Um, what I will tell you is once you've proven your product, you're done for you services to work for 20 or 30 people. And by proven, I mean you can keep 20 businesses around for more than six months. Then you can start a coaching product and you can start done with your do-it-yourself course. You need to understand that really an agency only serves the purpose of being a trampoline to get to something more scalable, which is a coaching model. I had my agency at 100 grand a month back in 2019, 2018. I had 64 done a few clients at two grand a month. What I had was 64 headaches and a very thin profit margin. So be very careful trying to scale an agency to 100 grand a month when you can get to 20 or 30, develop proof of concept, and then scale. Ty says, um, I have a question. What do you think about doing high ticket versus low ticket? It depends entirely on your market. You have to understand that when you're pricing your services and products, you never price your services and products based on what you want to charge or what you think you should charge. You always base your decisions on what your market will be willing to pay and what your market wants. Every business decision you ever make should be thinking about what does the market want, not what do I want. And this is the problem that early stage entrepreneurs make, is they, they develop this plan for 10 grand a month, then they figure out like, okay, if I charge this and get this many clients, I can get that. But that's backwards thinking, because we achieve business results through the addition of value to the market, and really how we do that is just by thinking about what the market wants and giving it to them. So my question to you, Ty, would be um, high ticket works and low ticket works, but it depends on what the market wants and what the market will pay. For example, my program Easy Grow is um, anywhere between $9,600 to $12,000. We had a price increase as of late. And so that's high ticket. But obviously, you know, Hamza's $5 a month, um, the, the other group that he's got, is low ticket because the market wouldn't pay twelve grand for a course on how to start an agency. So it's, um, it's market-based. Um, I prefer the high ticket business. Um, however, there is going to come a time and a point in the future where I might just do low ticket. So, um, you know, I will shift my identity to doing low ticket if I need to. Okay, Saeed says, I made the choice to not go to university and pursue entrepreneurship. I'm making four grand a month at the moment. I know I can take this to 15, 20k a month in the next year. I sometimes get the thought about even going to uni as a backup, even though I know it won't benefit in the long term. How have you or how do you deal with the thoughts and FOMO of going down the safe route like everyone tells you to? Thanks. Okay, well, this once again, it, this comes down to um, it probably if we draw this down through some, 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 through some Socratic reasoning, we, we get down to a belief system problem, which is the whole value system you have. It sounds to me like you've got some value on the word safety, um, which is very natural and very normal. But I never really dealt with that, man. I just, I had like, I thought it was safer for me to do the business because that's how much belief I had in who I was becoming. Um, it felt safer to do that. Because I'll be honest with you, it's probably safer to be a business owner than it is to actually have a job. Because if you've got a job, you can someone can fire you. If you're an entrepreneur, the only person that can really screw you over is yourself. And so if, if, you, if you ask me what makes me feel the safest, it's being in control. 
And that all comes back to my past of being bullied, the trauma, et cetera, et cetera. But really, for me, I value control, and that's how I denote safety. And so I would say that it's safer to actually have a business. And also, dude, you're 18 years old. I'm assuming you probably still live with your parents. You don't really have to concern yourself with safety too much right now because you've got the protection of your family. And also, you're making four grand a month. You're already safe. This is super valuable already, isn't it, guys? I love the questions, man. I didn't know what to expect, really, but um, I'm having fun. Okay. So I'm just finishing a hypnosis certification. I'm starting a business on teaching people how to use self-hypnosis to help them reprogram their unconscious mind. I feel overwhelmed with all the information I just received. So my question is, how do you start with marketing to get your first client? Okay, so starting a business is like driving a car at night. And what that means is you only want to focus on what's immediately in front of you. If you try and look two miles down the road and there's a corner coming up, you're going to wrap yourself around a tree. So what you need to understand is you don't want to try. This is the problem. Everyone comes into business early days with the paradigm of thinking you need to be strategic and think long term and think ahead. All you need to do is focus on the next 10, 10 meters in front of you. Your lights are on and just focus on that. So what that actually means in the business perspective and the business context is to focus on the immediate problem at hand. It's very easy to feel overwhelmed when you've got 101 different problems to solve and everything like that. But you start with the first one, which is how do you start with the marketing to get your first client? So you've obviously already corrected your paradigm here with the understanding that you just need to get your first client. How to get your first client? Um, what I would personally do is, first of all, you have to understand that you are not selling hypnosis. You're not selling a reprogramming of the conscious mind. You are selling an increase in performance and therefore an increase in revenue. If you reach out to people and say, hey, I can help reprogram your subconscious mind, to you that's valuable. To them it sounds like bullshit. Now, we, all of us here understand the importance of mindset. We understand the importance of the unconscious, or at least, you know, I hope you will do. And so we, we buy it. But most of the people that you reach out to in the market are not psychologically developed enough to understand the value of what you're offering. And so what you need to start by doing is figuring out how to position your service and what you do or your coaching offer into something people actually want to buy. Okay, so you need to translate this into an offer, essentially. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Hormozy's 100 million offers. It's a good place to start. But you need to start reaching out to business owners or whoever you think you can help. Um, let's say, for example, the problem you've got, you've said teaching people. What you need to do is define a niche. So, for example, so I'm trying to think here of a group of people that would have a psychological problem. So let's take mothers, for example, and let, let's say you help them with postnatal depression. Now you've got a niche and now you've got a problem you can solve. So now you can reach out to those, those mothers and say, um, hello, I, I don't know if you're a new mum or not, um, but if you are and you're struggling with postnatal depression, I guarantee I'll get rid of it using my special method. Now you've got some value. Understand, everyone write this down. If you want to make money, you have to add value. Value is created when pain is alleviated. Pain is alleviated essentially when you solve a problem for someone. Okay? And so everyone asks, like, What's, how do you make money? And then everyone says, well... You add value because the inverse of, of um, making money is the flow of value because it's an exchange, right? That's how the, the modern capitalistic system works. Um, and so you need to understand that value is created when pain is alleviated. Pain, you're not going to be able to get someone to pay you to reprogram their subconscious mind because they don't attribute pain to the subconscious mind problem. They attribute the pain to the postnatal, the postnatal depression, which could well be fixed by the subconscious mind. For example, you've observed this with a lot of these questions where people come in 
And for example, the earlier question that, that Tom asked, his problem was around like, you know, what do, how do I do this with my business? But the problem, he thought the problem was over here, but then I can see the problems here. And so for me to add the value to Tom, I'm not trying to solve the problem that he thinks he needs to solve. I'm solving the thing that he can't see. And that's what you're doing with, with, this, with this hypnosis offer. So you need to define a niche, a group of people that you know you can help, pick a very specific problem that they all suffer with, and then use your hypnosis and use your offer as the vehicle to bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. And people will pay you to get them there. Value is created when pain is alleviated. People will not pay you if they don't think you can alleviate pain. And because people don't associate the programming of their subconscious mind with pain, they simply won't pay you for it. So that's the first thing you have to focus on. Abdul says, I want to do a web development and SEO agency. How would you recommend I go about researching the needs for these services and obtaining leads? I can tell you that web development is not a good agency to start because businesses, this comes back to the pain thing, right? The, the website, a business doesn't feel pain because they don't have a website. They feel pain because they don't have customers. Now, maybe they don't have customers because they don't have a website, but in my experience, having helped nearly 1,200 agency owners, the web design and the web development agencies struggle to get clients significantly harder because the truth is that traffic is far less valuable than leads because websites generate traffic and some brand awareness. But the problem with that is the pain the client, the pain your clients are going to have is not having cash in the bank and not having customers. And there's multiple stages of client conversion from awareness to traffic to lead to appointment to show to close. And so there's a funnel here of value. And the closer you get to the bottom, the more money you can charge and the easier it is to get clients. But if you're at the top of the funnel just offering traffic and awareness, people won't pay you anywhere near as much money for it because the exchange of value is significantly reduced. What would you recommend instead? Um, some sort of advertising, database reactivation, um, maybe even cold outreach for them. Alejandro, uh, Alessandro says, I, Alejandro, am I, am I cool with this like sort of just quick fire thing? Are you happy with how this is going? Yeah, this seems good to me. What do you guys think? WRL in the chat. Yeah, what's everyone, um, how's everyone feeling about this? We all happy? Yeah, it seems good. Okay, I'm jumping from niche to niche. I don't know if I should continue jumping until I find one that fits me or if I should go broad and discover it with experience. Ready to spend a lot of dollar and resources on getting leads. Yeah, so here's the thing, dude. The, the easiest niche, I can, I can tell all of you the easy. Who wants to hear the easiest niche in the chat? Come on. Who wants the easiest niche? That real killer niche that you can go in and just crush. Everyone want that? Good. The easiest niche is the one that you stick to for five years. The hardest niche is the one that you pick now. There's no such thing as an easy niche, and there's no such thing as a hard niche. Easiness is a non-binary sliding scale. And the more time you spend in your niche, the easier the niche gets. This is why niche hopping is the most stupid thing any human being can ever do. Because every time you switch to niche, you reset your experience level back to zero. It would be like having a RuneScape account. And setting up a RuneScape account, I don't know if any of you guys have played this before, I used to when I was a kid. And you start playing the RuneScape account, and you decide that you're going to try and get to level 99 mining or whatever. You get to 75 and you think, oh, you know, it's just taking too long. I'll go and try smithing because it's probably going to be easier. And then you get to smithing, you get to level 65, oh, this is too long, you go and try woodcutting. And then you do that. And this is the problem that people have is if all you do is stick to one thing and focus on one thing for like five years, you'll be the best because nobody can do that. And so the easiest niche is the one that you stick to. The hardest niche is the one that you pick. Okay? So... That's the first thing. Do not go broad and do not try to find a niche that fits you. Look at how nature does it. An organism has to adapt to the niche in which it finds itself in. The niche will not adapt to the organism, ever. There is not one case in nature where 
a, a, a new species comes along, wanders into an environment, into a niche, and survives. The organism and the species has to adapt to the environment in which it finds itself in. It's not the strongest or the fittest that survive, but those most adaptable to change in the environment in which they find themselves in. That was Charles Darwin summarized. For those of you that haven't read The Origin of Species by Charles Darwin, I'd recommend you read it because the parallels between the um, premises of natural selection and business are very significant. You can't go around hopping niches expecting to find one that suits you. Because that would be like being a frog in the rainforest, just going from food source to food source, waiting for a food source that perfectly suits your digestive tract. If it doesn't fit, it never will. So you have to adapt to the niche instead of the other way around. It's kind of like what I said earlier about fitting yourself around the market instead of trying to fit it around you. Federica said, in one of your recent videos, you mentioned you're booking 1,350 calls a month. I estimated you're getting, I'm just going to read this question. By some math, it turns like a 1.2% conversion rate from views of book calls, which is huge compared to other guys in the industry. I analyze other coaches on YouTube, most of them are get 0.5% in the same conversion rate, so yours is three times higher. Yeah, so this question, I just finished it. Now, obviously, you have a great product, kind of crazy guarantee, all these things, variables come to play. But what do you say is the secret to converting people on YouTube? Well, the math is incorrect, Federico, because we run ads and we also have an outbound setting team of six people. So we're not booking, we, we book about 1,400 calls a month, but I'd say 600, 700 of them come from YouTube. So it's not as significant as you might think. So that might um, that might sort of put a stop into that question for you. However, we do have a significantly stronger level of appointments than our competitors and other people in the coaching space. And the reason behind that is because of the simplicity um, and single-mindedness of the call to action. We have used the same funnel and the same call to action and the same way of introducing that funnel at the end of the video in every single video for the last 600 videos. And because of that, people um, people act in, in psychology as a premise called the familiarity bias. And what it means is that people act on stimuli, a set of stimulus that is familiar. And so by exposing someone to the same thing over and over and over again, they're far more likely to complete it. And so the reason that we've achieved this um, massive, stupid flow of organic appointments is because we're basically making the same impression on them over and over and over again. The funnel doesn't even need to be that good. I'd rather show someone a bad funnel 10 times than show them a great funnel one time because I know they're five times more likely to convert on 10 purely because of familiarity bias. Okay, so Chrissy says, how do you change your self-image? I've been struggling with procrastination since forever. I remember I've been a hardcore procrastinator, always in forever procrastinating. Um, even though I tell myself I'll do these five daily habits, I again procrastinate from midnight like before. It makes me wonder what are my true capabilities and how do I unlock one hour of studying? Got me just going to read this through. My biggest obstacle in life is procrastinating. I'm aware of calling myself procrastinating is actually part of the problem again. What can I do to change this and unlock my true ability and potential besides positive affirmations telling myself I'm not a procrastinator and I'm productive? So you need to mean it. It needs to be a decision. The problem with this is the reason you can, you, this is, okay, this, well, I'll caveat what I said earlier, guys, about the um, telling yourself I'm not a smoker or I don't gamble, I don't watch porn. You actually need to mean it. It's not giving up a behavior is not the hard part. It's making the true, honest decision with yourself that's the hard part. Because you know your unconscious pain-avoiding mechanism in your brain understands that the second you adopt this identity of not being a procrastinator, you actually have to do some work. Procrastination serves the purpose of your current sense of self dredging up resistance to change. Remember what I said earlier about your current sense of self having a survival mechanism? And every time you try to become someone different to achieve your goal, it kicks up a fuss. And that fuss can manifest in this form of doubt or fear. Well, the other big one is procrastination. And in psychology, this is called resistance. And when resistance meets pain, great things happen in your life. And so it is part of the, part of the problem is the fact you, you have 
you're self-diagnosing, you're saying, look, my biggest problem is procrastination. And this is a belief system. You can change, but you need to come to terms with the fact and you need to have a word with your unconscious because you need to understand that you'll never become a non-procrastinator for as long as you're afraid of doing the work. I would suggest on my YouTube channel, if actually this will solve the problem for basically all of you, on my YouTube channel, go onto YouTube and type in Charlie Morgan trial by fire. There's a three hour video on how to overcome procrastination um, and how to overcome doubt and fear and everything. It, it extrapolates what I've just said in a three hour long form and explains the depth of it. And if you watch that, all of, all of that will become clear, Chrissy, on how to cut out procrastination because it will, extra, it will explain the nature of it and, and the function of it and why it exists. And if you understand that, you'll have absolutely no struggle overcoming it. Um, Stefan says, what's the best method to get coaching clients? I tried YouTube and it still takes ages to have a fair amount of followers. What have you used? What can you recommend for someone who has not made a dollar yet? Well, it's kind of like the, the same premise. Like the best method to get coaching clients is going to be the method where your market is most receptive, right? Um, for example, I've got a client in the agency space who works with really, really high ticket home improvement businesses. And I said, just don't use YouTube because those are like 60 year old, 70 year old dudes who are running like 100 million, 100 million a year lead buying businesses. They're not going to be on YouTube. The best method to get coaching clients, if you want to do it essentially like without having to spend any money, um, the best thing to probably do is cold DM. Um, and I would do it in a way where you start by opening with a request for permission to pitch someone. So you say you, you don't mention what you do or any problems you can solve, but you start by saying like, hey, um, I want to try and sell you something. I know you get pitched all the time, but I figured I'd ask if, if I can get your permission first. It's a Trojan horse. People, it's a, it's a pattern interrupt. People aren't used to it. Um, it's kind of the method that we've used to, um, to book thousands of appointments through. Last, last month, um, my head setter, who manages six setters, booked 600 appointments with that opener, which is basically like, hey, my name's Charlie. I've got an opportunity. I want to explain it to you, but the last thing I want to do is pitch you without your permission. So can I get the green light to send over some information? If, if you don't want me to, don't worry at all. I won't, I won't mind. Then what happens is they respond like, do you know what? All right, I'll let you. The problem that most people have with cold messaging is their prospects never read their messages because the prospect doesn't want to read it. It doesn't matter how good your message is. If it denotes sales form, they immediately switch off. It's called a clickware response or classical conditioning in psychology. So that's what I would suggest you try. Also, it comes back to the product market fit because you're saying coaching clients. It's like I said earlier about the subconscious hypnosis program thing. Are you trying to sell someone something they don't associate with a painful problem? Because if you, let's say, for example, that you are a, um, let's say that you coach rugby players on how to avoid hamstring injuries. I don't, I don't know. Now, you can go to a rugby player, a professional rugby player, and say, hi, I can help you reduce your hamstring injury length. Or you can go to them and you can say, I'll make sure you never injure your legs again. What's more valuable? What has more pain attached to it? Because rugby players always get injured, right? So obviously they're going to see value in the in reducing the length of um of that. But if I if you say oh, I'm going to guarantee that you never injure your hamstring, I don't know if you'd be able to guarantee that. But you get the point. You need to go as close to the source of the value and as close to the pain point as possible. The closer your business is to the pain and solving the problem that's most painful, the more money you can command. Because if you're not solving a painful problem, people just don't reply. Saif says, could you explain how you've made your current product so it doesn't suck up all of your time? Is it mostly pre-recorded courses or by hiring people? Yep. Yeah, so I made the course. Um, 
The Easy Grow, which is my program, took me nine months to build, 12 hours a day, six days a week. I, In the process of building that, I lost my girlfriend, I lost my friends, I lost my health, I lost everything. I sacrificed everything for my product. And then I hired a ton of coaches to come in and run external coaching calls for us. And so I no longer have any involvement in my product. I have a community manager running my thing for me. I will show you guys what this looks like. It might be useful for you. So this is Easy Grow, this is our product, for those of you that are familiar with school. So I, I have one coaching call a week I run on Mondays which is around this time on Monday. And then I have like a local business service delivery call, health and performance coaching, Loomis cold email sales coaching, e-com service delivery outbound coaching. So, you know, we cover all grounds. And then the way the classroom works is um, I created these sort of evergreen videos. Um, and what I mean by evergreen is like, I like to teach the foundations, the principles. So I'm not afraid to put, you know, this video took me about 100 hours to make. I know because I timed it for this, for this course, Acquisition Genesis. Every hour of content took me about 30 hours of work. And so once I built this, I don't have to rebuild it. These are just the first principles of acquisition, and they don't change. The laws of nature and the laws of the human mind and you know the, the, the core mental models that the world operates around that you need to understand to navigate the client acquisition problem, they don't change. And so what I did is I put lots of time into fixing that into the mindset problem, right? This is um, trial by fire, for example, two hours, 20 minutes on how to basically do the work. Then what I did is I started building all these systems. Now the systems change very regularly. Where, for example, if we've got a Terminator Loom system, which is what we used to get clients through cold email, the lead sourcing thing might break. When the lead sourcing thing breaks, I have someone who's doing the system for me to record a new video. So it's, it's no longer, um, all the decisions for the product run through me, but I don't actually do any of the work anymore. Unless I have to build another big module, which um, I will be working on next year, then I have to sort of get back into that monk mode. Whenever I've got to do like a massive project that requires like six months of focused effort, I always shave my head because then I don't want to go on any dates or anything because my biggest weakness is like going on dates and seeing girls. So if I just make myself like look like I've got some sort of problem, then um, it tends to work. Omar says, during the growing phase when you were reading for hours, how did you apply and retain that knowledge? I feel I have a lot of learners to do before I can start teaching people. This is a great question. And I can actually share something with you guys on how I accumulated all of my knowledge um, in the early days. So this here is what I built. Um, this is my reading tracker. I don't use this so much anymore because I read more for pleasure than I do for work at the moment. Um, but when I was reading um, typically like a book every two weeks, depending on the length of it. Um, what I would do is I would come in here. At the start of the year, I listed all the books I wanted to read. And then what I would do every single day is um, as I'm going through the book, I'd read with a pen. And every time I felt like I received something that would be useful, I would circle the thing or underline it. I would read for a certain allotted period of time, in this case, 27 minutes. And then I would I basically come in at the end of the reading session I would log the date, whether or not I read, what book I was reading, how many pages I read, how long I read for, and how focused I felt I was throughout the session. And then what I would do is I'd go through the last 20 pages or however many pages I read, and I would basically write down all the keynotes. So now if I want to go and reread a book, I don't have to go and reread it. I just come to this sheet, and I can just find like exactly what I'm looking for. Does that make sense? Um, so this is an example. So this course is by Epic Teachers, one of my favorite books. Um, and this is, these are just three examples, by the way. Um, I've got like two years, three years worth of this. Um, but you can sort of see how this would like, you know, if I want to go and reread this courses, instead of reading the whole book and taking like two weeks to do that, I just come in and pick out the bits that I already know are the most important and remind myself of them. Um, so I will share this in the, um, in the chat, and then you guys can make a copy and use this to um, track your reading 
And that's that's how you retain knowledge, by the way, is you just have like, you make a conscious effort to um, to note it down. If you guys are wondering why I track this, it's because you can only really improve what you measure. Um, now, in order for you to use the meditation tracker effectively and properly, um, you need to have something called a Muse headband. Um, you can do meditation without a Muse headband. Um, but if you want to get accurate metrics on this, I would recommend buying one of these. They are not cheap, uh, but like, I don't know how much they are, actually like the 500 bucks or something. Um, don't invest in one until you're making like, you know, a couple of grand a month because it's just, it's otherwise it's a shiny object. Meditation is the practice of doing nothing, so you shouldn't really add anything to it, but I have found this useful. So what Muse does is it basically gives you this, when you start meditating, when you, like how long you meditate for, then it will split your meditation into three states, active, neutral, or calm. The more calm minutes you have, the better the meditation session. At the end of the session, it will give you points. It will give you recoveries, which is when your attention drifted and you came back to your breath. And it will also give you a calm percentage and some other stuff as well. So what I have for my meditation practice is basically like years of data. Um, and then what you can do is the spreadsheet is going to um, pick up like the month's data. And then that way you can sort of see like what it looks like. Um, let me find another example of this with my health tracker as well, because this might be useful for you guys. Let's see if I can find a archived health tracker. All right, so I'll show you guys. So this was this was real grimer. This is from 2020. Because I want you guys to actually see that I'm not just telling you to do something without doing it. I've been doing this for years. So you can see here, um, if I go to, uh, where are we? My version history. Is this going to pop up? So, yeah, so you can see I've, I use this thing religiously in 2020. So this is when I was in proper grinding mode. And so what I have is, as you guys can see on my, thing, my ring, I've got an aura ring. And every day, what I do is I come into this sheet and I track my sleep start, my sleep end, my sleep duration, my awake time, light time, REM sleep, deep sleep, heart rate, my lowest resting heart rate, when I have my lowest resting heart rate, body temperature, um, respiratory rate, heart rate variability, timing, readiness, sleep. And so what this allows me to do is basically get a picture of my health in like the long term. And so what I can observe here is you can see in June, July, August, September, I had this perfect discipline. Going to bed at 11 p.m., waking up at 7, sleeping properly. But in October, November, December, I broke it down. And so what you can start to do is track your stupidity. <laughs> and you can find, you can observe these trends and your behavior becomes remarkably predictable and your metrics allow you to understand yourself. And you can measure your discipline. And so if you really want to take discipline seriously, having something like this to track it is remarkably useful. And so like you can see around here, like probably around Christmas time. Yeah, I'm going to bed at two in the morning. I'm not even, I've, I've given up on tracking my mood and everything as well. Like, I, <laughs> you know, so you'll see how this thing um, is useful. It takes two minutes, five minutes a day to fill out. You can also see I've got it up here as well. So it's always within the clip. Um, and that is that. That really is the case, though. This is what I've been saying. And this is what uh, Alex Becker actually said in a bunch of his videos. You really have to focus more on the person rather than the specific business models. Yeah, you, you know, it's like you don't, the business thing is easy. Like once you become a disciplined person, you can figure anything out. And like, for me, everyone, you guys don't have business problems. You have personal problems that reflect in your business. And the more you clean up your personal life, the less bullshit you have, the more focus you have, the more energy you have to go into the business. 
And so if you have a massive vice that's sort of killing you, like porn or women or smoking or drugs or gambling or gaming, if you remove that, all of the energy that was going into that vice has to go somewhere because the law of the universe is that the energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be transferred from one thing to another. So in the physical world, energy can only go from light energy to heat energy to kinetic energy to whatever. But the same thing works with your psychological energy. You wake up in the morning and you have a specific amount of kilojoules to burn in terms of your, your, your brain power and your body. And, you know, so if you've got this festering thing where you're spending three hours a day on video games, you know, over a week, that's what, like 20 hours a week on video games. Dude, that's like 80 hours a month. That's like a thousand hours a year. Over a decade, that's 10,000 hours on video games. That's a lot of energy and time. Imagine if you put all that into the business, you'd be 10,000 hours more experienced and further ahead. And so that's how you have to start looking at your personal life, guys, is all of these things that eat up your time, if you remove them, that energy has to go somewhere. And so you might as well put it into work. Med meditation tracker, you need a muse band. Health tracker, you need an aura ring. And the reading tracker, you just need a brain and a book. Angelo says, I run a private community on school where we create life-changing experiences for men seeking fulfillment. Our recent ventures include sailing trips, hikes, boot camps, and more transferring members into a tight-knit brotherhood. In our recent pre-launch, we welcomed 100 members who paid an upcountry of 97 recurring 27. As we approach our official launch and facing a challenge, we have a mix of members, including successful entrepreneurs, those stuck into nine to five jobs. My vision is to have a long-term community filled with purpose-driven entrepreneurs. How do I navigate this transition without altering or excluding current members or ensuring we attract the kind of people who align with my long-term vision of purposeful entrepreneurship? Yeah, dude, you kind of just have to just do it. Sometimes you've got to make a sacrifice like that. There's no like you know fancy play that I could see available to there. Just it's kind of like. If let's, I can give you an example from my agency days. So um, my first agency was generalized. I worked with anyone and everyone. I had an education charity that worked in, Nam um, in Namibia. I had a double glazing business um, that worked at Truro in the UK in Cornwall. I had all sorts of random clients. Then I decided on the gym niche. And I thought, well, what do I do with my current clients? But all you do is you keep servicing them to the best of your ability and you, you state your intention and you travel in a different direction. And then what will happen is the clients that you have will just leave over time, like just entropy will just kick in, the relationship will come to an end. And um, I wouldn't concern yourself too much with that. Um, obviously, this gives me a good indication into your moral stature, because you obviously want to provide a good service and not, not hurt anyone. But you have to understand that in order for you to achieve a vision and state an intention and achieve a goal and be focused, you are going to have some um, cannon fodder, so to speak, which is not a nice way to put it, but there are sacrifices to make. So I would just suggest just do it. Angelo, um... So I, I actually went through something similar back when I had the first version of Adonis School when it was called um, Adonis Academy. And I took the plunge as well. What I will tell you is like, you don't, I don't think you need to overthink this so much. I think if you just transition into changing what the marketing is like and change the insides, then anyone who's aligned to that will uh, stay inside and enjoy it. And over time, like Charlie said, anyone who's not really aligned to that new sort of vision will just slowly end up like not being totally happy and, and they'll leave. So if I could go back in time, it was a, it was a tricky point for me because mine wasn't about topic. It was about like the member cap that I set and everything like that. But for you, I'd say just just make the changes you want to make. Don't kick anyone out. And I reckon 
the guys from this audience, like this this avatar that you're talking about, who do stay, they'll probably merge into the ideal avatar anyway. Like, you know, for example, you've said some of these guys are stuck in their nine to five jobs. Some of those guys will be inspired by the entrepreneurs and they're probably putting an effort to start their businesses anyway. Let's see, I'll answer some questions whilst Charlie's gone as well. What mindset got you through those 80 hour work weeks? So I was doing about that as well. Um, earlier this year for about six months straight, I did the exact same thing, trimmed my hair off. Many of you inside of Adonis Academy, the first version I did, Adonis Tribe, you, you saw me do this in front of you where I was just working all day, every day on these products. And I basically six X'd my business in like six months. We went from like 20K a month to like 120. What mindset got me through that? What mindset got you through those 80 hour work weeks? I'd be curious to know yeah. that. You. What, how did you get through it? Oh, you probably just answered that, actually. <laughs> no, no, I was just about to answer. You, you know what I was going to say? I think you've gave the right answer that often that kind of period will come from some kind of pain or fear, often like this aggressive action that you'll have in self-improvement or productivity. It will come after mm -hmm. a breakup. It'll come after like some horrible experience you've had. You got bullied. You, you didn't get the girl. That's what will fuel you. For me, it was interesting because... Uh, just before we met Charlie, when I would, you know, before you made the video of me, that's when I was working super hard. For me, it was actually the complete opposite. It was out of love and it was out of like positivity. Like I woke up every day with excitement, a smile on my face. That, like I can actually build something amazing here. And so it became like the most addictive video game I've ever had just working on my business. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think what happens is like you can't be motivated by pain forever. Because like, I would assume like, this, at the start of your YouTube channel, you were probably in a lot of pain. Like, in at the very beginning, the very sort of genesis of your, your journey was probably just, like, you need to get away from something. But I think, like, what happens once you've achieved, like, usually around the six-figure mark, six-figure mark, is you transcend the negative emotion because you, you've essentially f fulfilled the problem, and then you transcend to love. But most people don't transcend to love. Most people just sort of become comfortable and they just like, they get the girls, they get the car, they get whatever they want and then they just sort of settle, which is fine. But I respect, I've always respected that of you, man. It's like, I can tell, I was saying to Bo the other day, or actually this afternoon, we were talking about your videos. Bo's my business partner for those of you guys that are unaware. And, um, and I was saying that when I watch your videos, it feels like you're talking to me directly. Like I'm your little brother or something. Like it is, you're not making videos for like millions of people. You're making videos... For, for, for your little brother almost or like your cousin or something like that um which is which is interesting i'm curious as to anyway i'll, I'll grow you on your youtube strategy in the future because um, i'm curious but i love it thanks so let's um should we um should we dive back in we call that yeah please youtube question would you recommend recording videos and cutting in loads or different takes or do it all in one if you're just starting i would just I'd try and do it all in one if you're just starting there's a very important distinction to make you are a business owner not a youtuber um, now, I come from the stance here of being a business owner before a YouTuber. And it's very easy for YouTube to consume all your time. For Hamza, it makes sense because Hamza's like entire machine is YouTube. Hamza's YouTube channel is his business in, in an essence. That's, that's a bit reductionary, but you get the point. A bit reductive rather. Um, so I would just try and keep it efficient, try and keep it lean, clean and simple. Um, if you spend more time making YouTube videos than you do improving your product, then you know you're doing the wrong thing, especially if you're selling high ticket because your clients are more important than your subscribers because your clients pay you, okay? Um, and that's that. Charlie, how do you find constraints in your business? This is a fantastic question. And the best mental model you can use is something called Socratic reasoning, where you, you find a problem because constraint, the, the first um, 
like it's kind of like finding a constraint in business is like trying to find an illness in the human body. You start with the symptoms and then you ask why five times. So Socrates, you guys should be aware of him, pretty pretty kick-ass philosopher from the, from the Greek times. His, his method for reasoning was basically just to ask why until you get to the very, very bottom of the problem. And in business, this becomes quite straightforward. So for example, let me give you, let's just pick an arbitrary example here. Let's say that the problem you've got is you haven't got enough clients, right? Well, okay, that's, that's obviously the constraint is client acquisition. But client acquisition is a multifaceted problem. There's many stages of, of, of process and conversion that need to elapse and manifest for someone to pay you. And so why am I not getting clients? Um, why? Okay, well, because like I'm not doing sales calls. Why am I not doing sales calls? Um, well, because I'm not booking sales calls. Well, why am I not booking sales calls? Um, because like my outreach isn't working. Well, why is my outreach not working? Well, because I'm not really doing it because I, I don't really feel like I want to. Well, why are you not doing it? Because I'm avoiding pain. So the true constraint in your business is always you. It always comes back to you. Almost always. Like I said, we don't have business problems. We have personal problems that reflect on our business. If you're not getting clients, it probably comes down to the fact that you're, you're not doing the outreach. Or let's say, why am I not getting clients? Well, I'm getting sales calls. So the problem I have, we can define the problem as sales. I'm not closing. Well, why are you not closing? Um, because people are giving me objections. Well, why are people giving you objections? Well, we know that that's going to happen anyway. So the question then becomes, why are you not overcoming the objections? And then it could be, well, because like, I don't really feel comfortable doing that. Well, why don't you feel comfortable doing that? Because I don't really want to put people in an uncomfortable situation. Why? Because I don't want to be put in an uncomfortable situation. So it comes back to you. You don't want, if, if, you're on a, if you're on a sales call with someone and you judge someone for being pushy or trying to handle your objections, you immediately disqualify yourself as being able to behave in the same way. And so this is why all of these constraints in your business, all of these business problems are upstream of some sort of personal problem you have to a degree, to a degree. Even where I'm at at the moment, and I say that like I'm really successful, which in, in my book I'm, I'm not because I've got a lot of work to do. Alexander the Great conquered the known world at 22, and I'm just making 800 grand a month, but payables in comparison, right? But even to the point where I'm at now, where I've got 15-person team, eight figures in revenue, when there's a problem in the business, if I, if I analyze it and critically think it through enough, it always comes back to an issue I've got. For example, at the moment, um, Bo and I, we got stuck at the point where we're making 500 grand a month. I know this is going to sound stupid and out of touch, but trust me, when you get to the point where you make 500 grand a month, if you don't see that money grow, it's just as painful to make that consistently and not see it grow than it is to make like three grand a month. The psychological conditions of pain revolving around growth not manifesting are universal regardless of the number that's there. This is why billionaires want to keep growing. The satisfaction, it, it, it's a never-ending void, right? And so we got stuck at 500 grand a month, which sounds like a great problem to have, right? But it made me miserable because my self-worth is tied to the growth of my business, unfortunately, which is actually quite fortunate if I want to make money. But anyway, sorry for another day. And I was like, well, why are we stuck at 500 grand a month? And we were like, well, because the sales team, like they're not converting properly. Like they're, like, they're inconsistent. We're not getting sales calls, blah, blah, blah. And for, the, for about three months, I coped to living high in hell where I told myself the reps just weren't converting. But the problem was that I wasn't able to manage the reps properly because I'd never done sales management. 
So I went down that route, and then I found out that the real problem was that the reps just weren't being managed properly. Sales reps are like wild animals. If you leave them alone, they'll like eat their own fucking arm or something. You know, they have to be managed and handled and held accountable. And so the problem was that I just couldn't be bothered to manage them properly. And that was the truth. I just thought, I'll outsource it, we're done. But the truth in business is that when you solve a problem, all you do is introduce another one. And so when you hire a sales rep, it doesn't mean that the, the pain and the issue goes away. Now you have to manage them. And so that, um, that plateau in my business at 500k a month was coming because I lacked the skill set of sales management and the discipline to properly implement it. And as soon as we implemented that and started doing one-on-ones, sales coaching sessions, call reviews, objection handling, training, et cetera, et cetera, the business just went from like 500 a month to like 800 a month. And so it always comes back to something that's wrong with you. Um, Hamza said, extra questions I thought, how do you kill your current self um, with pain? So this is a really interesting, um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a really interesting metaphor here, Hamza. So you know the whole story of George and the dragon, right? Where you've got like the princess in the cave being guarded by the dragon and the knight has to go and slay the dragon to return as a hero. That's the archetype, right? The dragon represents chaos, essentially. Now, let me ask you this. What is a knight without a dragon? Just a man. So a knight is a man that was normal, but through pain became something. And so the dragon represents pain. You have to slay the dragon, which is not a pleasant task. And so how do you become the knight? You slay the dragon and you get the, you get the princess or whatever. It's interesting that you know, the, um, the archetype is, is a woman. Um, that we're fighting for, which I was, I've been wrestling with that for a long time. But the same premise works with this idea. What is a hero without a villain? There's no point. The hero only becomes the hero by defeating the villain. And so the best way to kill your current self is to find the villain or find the dragon and go and slay it or go and defeat it. And in this case, this is really deep psychologically, what you're trying to defeat or slay is your current sense of self. So how you kill your current sense of self or how you become your own hero or the knight in shining armor is you slay the dragon. How? You do it through pain. Because pain manifests when effort meets resistance. Right? So every time you feel resistance, which is procrastination or doubt or fear or cope or anything that isn't the work, that's, that's resistance where I, let's say I need to go and do a leg day. And I'm like, I'll do it tomorrow. Or maybe I didn't get enough sleep tonight. Or my readiness orders isn't good enough. Or I trained two days ago, it'll be fine. Or I'll just skip it and do it next week. This is all cope. This is all delusion. This is all denial. That's resistance. When you meet resistance with effort, which is basically your will of facing the pain and doing it, you produce pain. And the more pain you introduce into your life through meeting resistance with effort, the faster your current sense of self dies. Another example, let's say that something attached to your current sense of self is pornography. And every time you watch porn, you feel terrible about yourself and it's a big problem, right? Well, pain is going to manifest because what's going to happen is you're going to have the impulse to watch porn. It's 11.30 p.m., you're about to go to sleep, um, and then suddenly you're like, I'm gonna, and then you feel it, and you catch it. And to not do that is painful. But the more pain that you introduce into your life, the faster that current sense of self dies. It is the fastest way I've found to change myself is to just introduce pain in my life. And the way you do that is by introducing effort to resistance. Every time you feel like you don't want to do something and you go and do it, part of you that you don't want dies a little bit. And that's how you become a real monster. 
you want to sort of just wake up and instead of having three normal meals a day, just try and eat pain throughout the day. What is someone making 10K per month like? Well, that means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Um, someone making 10K a month, the, the, the probably the core thing, I would say there's two things. I would say discipline and persuasion. Those are probably the two most important things. Because you can have the discipline of going to bed on time and waking up on time and going to the gym and meditating and, and doing this, that, and the other. But if you're not persuasive, if you haven't got the ability to articulate yourself fluently and explain your ideas in a way that is compelling and persuasive, you're not going to get very far. And really, actually, what we can say in that case is it's not persuasion, it's sales. And so the first thing that you really want to embed into your character and this version of yourself you're trying to develop is the ability to sell. Because you can be as disciplined as you want, but if when you sit down in front of a prospect, you freeze up and you can't convince them of anything, you're not going to make any money. Because you make money when we add value. Value is created when pain is alleviated. So in order for you to make money, you have to convince someone that you have something valuable. And the convincing is the big component. What do your daily routine behaviors look like getting 10 grand a month? I will walk you guys through this in a Google Doc because this probably, this would be interesting. I can give you the exact routine. of I know exactly what I did all day, every day. I built my first agency to about $5,000 a month when I was doing a 40-hour week apprenticeship in sales. And so I will walk you through what my routine looked like during that period of time. Because as soon as my apprenticeship finished, I got 10 grand a month pretty quickly. So I would wake up at 5.30. And at that point, I would gym. At about 6.45, I would return from the gym and take a cold shower. And at 7, um, I would usually eat breakfast. Now, at the time, I was eating Weetabix, which I would no longer recommend you do, but I didn't know any better. I'd eat Weetabix and like put like caster sugar on it and milk, shit like that. Um, and that was, yeah, I, I can see a lot of you guys just face palming right now. But I didn't know any different. I didn't have Pam to tell me not to be a Jeffrey and do stupid stuff, <laughs> but... This is going to show you can still build even even if you're messing with your health. But anyway, I'd eat Weetabix. At the time, I had a Vauxhall Corsa. And so what I would do is my apprenticeship was about a half an hour drive from my parents' house. And so at this age, I was about 18 to 19. Dropped out of uni, started an apprenticeship in sales. 7.30, um, I would make cold calls to the UK. So I was working with gyms, and I understood that most gym owners started their work early in the morning. They have to open the doors for the early goers. People want to get in. So I cold call gyms from the UK basically for two hours, right? At this point, my apprenticeship would start and this, this would usually be about 50 cold calls. Sometimes I'd have a sales call at this point because if I, if I called enough people, then I'd be like, hey, do you want to do a sales call tomorrow at 7.30? And they'd be like, sure, not knowing that I was sat in a steamed up quarter in a car park in in the Southwest. But anyway, my apprenticeship started. Now, my apprenticeship was a cold calling apprenticeship. This is why, in case you guys are wondering how to become verbally fluent, <laughs> make a lot of cold calls. It will really do you some good. And so my apprenticeship, the goal was to basically make anywhere between 200 and 300 cold calls a day. So in the morning, I would do 100 cold calls. And then at about 1 p.m., um, I would get in my car, drive to a lay-by, and I would continue making cold calls. So on lunch, I'd do another 20 to 30 cold calls, at this point, I would either do that or take a sales call. Now, it took me 50 appointments, 50 sales calls, five zero to get my first client in my car. So for those of you that are still doing sales calls and you've got four in, you think you're going to quit, just don't hang in there, all right? I'd get back from lunch at 4 at 2 p.m. and I'd have a meeting for like half an hour. 
And then from 1430 onwards, I would do more cold calls, like another hundred of them. And then at 1630, this was um, in the UK. If you do an apprenticeship, there's something called on-the-job training, which is basically where you have an hour at the end of the workday to complete your coursework. I completed all the coursework for an 18-month apprenticeship in four months, so I could then spend the remaining of my off-job training watching Sam Ovens videos. Um, because I knew if I just clean it all out and get it done straight away, I can then use that hour to sit in my desk and watch Sam Ovens YouTube videos and consulting accelerator. Then 1730 would roll around. I would drive home. I'd get home at 1800. And I'd make more cold calls to gyms. And this would typically be like 100 calls. I don't know if my brother's in here, Fred and Freddy. I don't know if he's joined us or not, but he'll remember this time of my life. Like I'd come back and I'd, I'd like put my bag in upstairs and like he just, nobody would hear from me until, until dinner. Cold calls. And then at 1900, um, well, actually, it would usually be like 1930. It'd be dinner. This would just be whatever my mom was making. God bless her. And then um, 20 hundred, I would do all my tracking. This is where I was tracking my sleep, all of that stuff. And then at 2030, I would quick scope for two hours. I had to basically, I was playing Call of Duty World War II at the time. And um, I would then go to bed at about, about 10.30. And this was my routine for a year. This was, it was very difficult, very painful. What this meant essentially is I got incredibly, incredibly good at two things being disciplined and persuading people. Because this routine required significant discipline from me. And it also, I, dude, I was absolutely terrible at cold calling for the first like three months. I'd call people up and be like, oh, hi, Ham hi Hamza, I've got, uh, 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 do you want to like buy something from me? <laughs> I was awful. So what you guys are seeing now and, and the way that I'm articulating myself, and if you see my YouTube videos or any of my sales calls or whatever, is seven years of, of practice. I wasn't natural. I wasn't born naturally into sales. I sucked. I was really bad. And so, you know, this taught me um, the two things that I mentioned earlier, which is discipline and persuasion. And if you guys want to win, and the person that can make 10 grand a month is typically someone that can control their emotions and their impulses, and that is basically discipline, and someone who can convince people to give them money, which is persuasion. The easiest way to learn both of these things is to make cold calls. Because by doing cold calls, you're practicing discipline because you don't want to do it. And you're practicing your verbal articulate ability. And that is worthwhile doing. So that was my routine, basically, to build my first agency. I finished my apprenticeship with four clients. It's making $5,000 a month. I look back on this as the fondest. Hamza, you probably have the same thing, where you look at that grind, and it was the worst thing in the world at the time. But you look back at it, and you think, God, what I would do to go back there and be in that little room. <laughs> you know? like, God, I would love to go back there. But that was the routine. That was um, that was it. It wasn't perfect, you know. On Sundays, Saturday mornings, I would make more cold calls. Sundays, I would just take the Sunday off and just degenerately watch Netflix or YouTube all day because, like, you can't really sustain that. You have to have like a day where you just literally just shut your brain off. Otherwise, I burned out like five times doing this as well. Anyway, I hope that answers the um daily routine question of 10k a month. Yeah, it does. Um, Thank you. King, what was your routine like, by the way, when you started? <laughs> Yeah, shall I show you? Mm. Let's do a little... Uh, I'll just do it as a post here. Okay, so my routine in, let's say, 2020 slash 2021 routine. I think I need to a month. First thing I did when I moved back home around this time was I set an alarm for, I think it was about 5.30 a.m. wake up time every single day. And then I did about a one hour morning routine. So I'll actually just put this here. Morning routine. 
which was again. 20 min's meditation, it was gratitude journaling, it was cold shower, um, some other bits in this as well. But it took me about one hour or so. 6.30, I would do deep work and I'd work on um, basically just like learning YouTube. This is actually one of the biggest ones is I just spent lots of hours, not just recording videos, but learning YouTube just because it was convenient. Like I wanted to wake up and record, but everyone was asleep at this time. So I didn't want to disturb anyone. And that was probably about like one and a half hours or so. Usually about this was pre-workout meal, whilst watching YouTube videos, 8.30 gym, finish at like, I was in the gym for quite a while, probably like 11, because gym, sauna, chilling with friends and whatever. Come back home post-workout meal these are both with like educational youtube videos usually about business as well mm -hmm. uh 11 30 basically back to work brain wouldn't work so well around here was eating carbs and everything but sometimes i'd like oh, record they'll, work. they'll get you man yeah and then about 2 p.m was usually um yeah it was about anywhere from here was like i was doing self-improvement coaching as well and that'd take me usually to about like 3 p.m. And this is where I did um, just learning. I'd literally just learn, read, watch more educational stuff, get to about like six or maybe about seven. I remember I used to do one hour of like off time, I used to call it. Where for the, actually I didn't do this for very long, but for the first few weeks when I moved back home, I thought you were still supposed to have like you know one or two hours off without realizing that was actually negatively impacting me. That it's I was not. Gonna say, this is like sounds like coke time. Yeah, coke time basically. <laughs> so what I'd do is like I'd get an ice cream, I'd sit on my bed and I'd watch music videos, like pretending that it was fun, and I'd just go Bro, on you Tinder. Like Ed Sheeran Vivo videos. <laughs> yeah, so I only did this for like um, maybe a couple of weeks or something. Then I realized that basically that was still a waste of time. So then I basically just did, um, just I just kept on reading till about like 8 p.m. And that would be nighttime routine. That was another like meditation and other things. And I was in bed 9 p.m. every single night. Yeah. Uh, one other thing is these ones here was create course. And also this, this block of work here, create course, this work, block was probably up until about five like on and off eating and whatever as well mm -hmm. and so what got me from from um basically zero to 1.5k i'll write this down because it'll be interesting zero to uh 1.5k a month was self-improvement coaching and i never really crossed much more than that and then 1.5k a month to instantly 10k a month was um fitness course yeah. So this is an important lesson for everyone. It doesn't matter how hard you row, it matters what boat you're in. Mm. And that's the Warren Buffett quote. And so this is this is like the thing, like sometimes the model matters more than the person. Um, like if you're trying to sell ebooks for like 20 quid, like that's so difficult to get to 10k a month, unless you've got an absolutely insane audience. But yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. Thank you. I think your 7 p.m. was my Weetabix. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'd eat like eight of them as well. I was like, yeah, bulk and season. I'd like let it yeah. sugar on and 
milk and all that crap. But that's interesting because we we wasted hours of of the day doing that. You were quick scoping. I was randomly just I was just sat there watching like rap music videos, basically like edging to like other girls and they've got them. <laughs> like, oh no, bro, slow, no fat, bro. <laughs> and we wasted hours of the day. We were eating shit food. We were both like you know bodybuilder style, and we still scaled up to ten k. This is what yeah. a friend of mine asked me. He was like, what's like the number one consistent thing you see of like the high performers, the successful guys? And I wish I could say it was meditation or it was eating clean, but it's none of those things. Some guys are full on drunk degenerates and they're having like a ton of sex. They're taking a bunch of Bro, drugs. Like the easiest example of this is that Alexander the Great conquered the world drunk. Like he, he, was, he was known to be an alcoholic and he also like had like um, guys that he was, Alexander the Great was allegedly gay. Um, and he brought like male prostitutes with him everywhere, and he'd like go and party and drinking and sh mm. then he'd wake up in the morning and go and cut people to pieces. Like the whole not drinking and eating clean and sleeping properly makes it easier, a hundred percent. But a lot of people use it as cope. But they're like, oh, like I didn't sleep well, or like I just kind of I, I fat this morning, so I actually can't do the cold calls, so I haven't got the energy. Like it, they, these these habits more than anything are shields of pain avoidance mm -hmm. that we use and because by having the habits your body and your brain know that if they complete them these bad habits that you're not going to do the work <laughs> it's all it all comes to that should we actually go through some more of these questions Is yeah that cool? please um so if this can you explain the cigarettes again i think this one's being recorded isn't it mate so we can um yeah i got it uh, if identity is the biggest constraint for me what's what's the best way to change my identity so now i will reveal my trump card to you guys um i'm going to share something with you all um that will change your life. Because it changed mine. I hope you don't disconnect now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I just have a heart attack and I'm gone. Like, you know, no one will ever know. See, this is the thing, guys. Is, this is like, I'm able to convince you that I know what I'm talking about because of the cold calls. It all comes full circle. Um, right. So what you... Okay, so Christian's question is, you know, and the theme of this entire call has been this identity, this mindset thing, right? Whereby the question is, if identity is the biggest constraint for me to hit 10K a month, then what is the best way for me to change my identity? Let me present to you the document that changed my life forever. Hamza, I think you're familiar with this because I made the YouTube video on this and you commented. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, damn, the popular kid knows me. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, happy about that. This is called a self-transcendence document. And here's the thing. As we've discussed throughout this call, you don't want to set a goal. You want to set a character. We don't achieve goals, we achieve characters. And through the accomplishment and achievement of the character, the goal is achieved. As a by goals are byproducts of people. So you, you focus on the person. And so this document, I'll walk you through it. It's, you can make this yourself in, um, in Keynote or whatever, but it starts with your role models, the people you look up to. And so for me in this instance, I've got Pericles here, um, who is a um, philosopher, whatever. Anthony Joshua, Stephen Hawking, Chris Froome, cyclist. This dude's like the, big, the biggest pain eater I know, like long distance cyclists, like Tour de France guys. They can put up with the pain. Harvey Specter, Persuasion, Jordan Peterson, you know, his just articulability. Sam Evans, obviously. Nature, because I wanted to be in touch with nature. Winston Churchill. This guy, I can't remember his name, but I watched this documentary. Um, he's from Africa, and he went on to win a Paralympic silver or gold medal after someone in his African village chopped his leg off with a machete. So I was like, if he can do that, I can probably make 10 grand a month, you know? And then obviously we've got Epictetus here, for those of you who don't know who that is. So the way this works is um, I created this 
on the first 30th of January, and I get quite excited when I talk about it because this is I did this is my third version. So what you need to do is you need to have you need to look at yourself as V1, V2, V3, V4, V5, etc. I am now currently on probably V5. And so this is this is version three. Now what I've actually got here is an Alchemy of Self archive where I've got my version one, which came true. I've got my version two, which came true. You can even see there's, I've got like videos of me talking about it and my goals and stuff like that. And you can see how this changes with time, you know, based on who I'm looking up to. There's a lot of consistencies. Um, then I've got my Alchemy of Self 4, which I'm working on now. And then the first one as well, right? I wanted to demonstrate, guys, I've actually used this. I'm not just chatting out my ass. This is something I've actually done. So if we come into Alchemy of Self, um, let's just take this 3.0. Because this gets a bit scary. So I wrote this one on the 30th of January, 2021. And you can screenshot this if you want. These are things, these are, pre these are mindset premises that I wanted to be reminded of every day. So what you do is you make this document, you print it out, and you read it twice a day. And if you've got a free five minutes, you read it. And so these are things that I wanted to be reminded of every day, key mindset ideas, um, daily ritual, like what I'm doing every day just to keep myself on track. Then what I did is I created a long-term vision. And this is something I'm working on for the next 40 years, right? But then this is the key thing. You create a short-term goal. And so at this time, um, what I wanted was to live in this apartment and drive a C-class AMG, have a sort of monochrome style, have the body, monk-like discipline, Wim Hof, cold exposure. And this was the thing. I wanted to be a million-dollar consultant, intelligent, monk-like, exponential, bold, like not hairline bold, but like proper like man bold, right? <laughs> Biohacker shredded. And... What happened last earlier on this year is I moved into this apartment and I bought this car. Now Hamza's seen the video, um, so he knows what I'm talking about. But this all this came true to a T. And you'll also notice uh, here I put first class plane. Now I only fly business class, not quite first class because it, it feels a little bit unjust to me because it's like ten grand for a ticket. But now I only fly business class. And so let me read something out to you here, right? So this is my manifesto that I wrote for myself when I started Imperium. And this is all now true. Charlie Morgan is a seven-figure consultant. He is known for his mastery of organic attraction and sales and is a million-dollar entrepreneur. He has completely transformed himself and his, his character is unshakable. His standards are ruthlessly high. He went from 4K a month to 100K a month in 12 months. Try 800, right? Charlie Morgan is the co-founder of Imperium Agency, the best and most effective coaching business for agency owners. Imperium has transformed the lives of thousands of clients. We can now tick that box off because we passed 1,000 clients about five months ago. And it's quickly becoming recognized as a force to be reckoned with in the market. Now, stupidly, I put here that I wanted to be on Forbes 30 again the 30, which hasn't happened, but some things you can do. Imperium Agency makes it easy for any agencies because scale, et cetera, et cetera. 100K months of inevitability. Um, lives in the corner penthouse flat. Beautiful women see him, blah, blah, blah. Um, control of finances. So all of this came true, right? And then I had the, the character traits here, the haircut. Um, you know, you can see dress, black t-shirt. What am I wearing, right? Nah, it's just a coincidence I expect. And then I had my goals, which all came true and all happened. Um, and then I had these affirmations as well. So when you guys are doing affirmations, if you are deciding to do affirmations, you need to do them around your problem, the problem you're facing. Don't, don't just say, I have an abundance mindset. It needs to be specific. And I can show you a previous outcome yourself as well. This was the second one. Same sort of premise as you can see here. This one might be relatively similar. Um, yeah, you can sort of see here, it's the same thing. I even went into my strike 
and I edited the source code to put a million dollars. And now, um, let me just stop sharing because there's going to be some sensitive stuff on Stripe. What we can see is that if I go into Stripe, just I want to just demonstrate to you guys this stuff actually works, right? Go into Stripe. This is from the last 24 months. I wanted to see a million dollars. Now, if I go in there, I can actually see it in the last three months. And bear in mind, guys, when I created this, I was exactly where you were. Young dude, no business experience, no clients, making a couple of grand a month, no idea what was going on, right? And so every time that I've had some sort of big breakthrough in my life is every time I've sat down to make one. This was my old office, by the way, where I'd make cold calls from. Um, and it's all sort of covered in here. This was an original manifesto as well, which was a little bit less fleshed out. Then I had a ton of affirmations that I, I used. But to answer the question of how do I change my identity, the, the way you do it is by putting it on some paper and just looking at it twice a day. It really is as simple as that. Draw up the man you want to be within a, with, with, with so much precision and clarity. Like I would, I would shut my eyes and I would imagine myself sat in the car. I would imagine myself like doing it. And now I've, I'm, I've bought another car in Dubai, it's C63S. It's always been my dream car. I have one in the UK as well. And it all comes true. And so that might sound like one massive ego trip for me to talk about my accomplishments and achievements. But what I want to demonstrate to you guys is that if you just take a couple of days to write out the man you want to become, print it off, and treat it like the Bible and read it over and over again. You need to be reminded of why you're working and who you're becoming. And eventually you'll get that. So that's a very important thing that I did near enough every day. Mm -hmm. Did you yeah. read that twice a day then? What's that, brother? Did you read it twice a day? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would read it. Um, when I was doing the apprenticeship, um, I didn't have this because um, this was before I discovered the Sam Evans stuff. So I, I actually learned this from Sam. Um, so for the first nine months of apprenticeship, I didn't have it. Um, but what I would do is I'd wake up in the morning. Um, I'd read it. I still have one now for, for my, my next goals that I read twice a day. Because um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to lose the, the power. Twice a day and, and you go through and you read it. And, and what happens eventually, and this is the problem I ran into with it, you eventually develop what in the advertising world is called banner blindness which is where when you see the same stimulus over and over again, it stops registering emotional impact. And so what you guys have to do with this document is you'll feel great with it for like two weeks. But after you've exposed yourself to it like 14 to 20 times, you'll just eventually just skim over it and just read it and you won't really feel anything. And so you need to make a conscious effort when you see these things. Listen to Cornfield Chase by Hans Zimmer for all I care. You need to bring emotion into this because the way you change your identity is pitting powerful, positive, strong emotion um, and negative emotions, but you don't have to worry about those for now, against the person you're becoming. And so when I do the, the affirmations, which is something I did at the end, for example, I would, the affirmation I had at the beginning of Imperium was I have conquered the agency niche and I have outscaled everyone. That was, and I feel amazing, I feel happy about it. That was one of my affirmations, right? And what I would do is after saying the words, you need to shut your eyes and, and visualize yourself having done that. And so what I would see is I would see my competitors and then, like, you know, in the Olympics, when they've got, like, um, the gold medalists on, like, the platform at the top, and then the silver medalists slightly down, and the bronze medalists down here, and everyone at the back, I would picture myself on a stadium in a swimming pool, because that's all I really remember from the Olympics, you know, with, like, Michael Phelps and stuff. And I'd imagine myself, like, shirtless with my perfect body, having, like, just gone for a swim or something, holding up the gold medal with my other competitors below me. And when you 
when you actually visualize something in detail and color, even to the point where I would try to imagine the coldness of the gold medal. And I would feel like, you know, when you get out like a swimming pool and you sort of feel the water dripping down, you have to make it feel real. Because if you want to convince your brain something's possible, it has to feel real. And your brain can't really tell the difference between a experience that happens in your imagination and an experience that happens in reality. And so if you want to change your belief systems, if you replay the same thing over and over again, arbitrarily in your mind, but you genuinely feel it and you're actually there and you're present and you'll feel the emotion, you'll change your belief. Um, and I truly believe that anyone can become anything at any time, given the, given the right circumstances. So that's how you change your identity. Um, and that's how I did it. The coaching business I'm starting is geared towards subconscious reprogramming. My niche is spirituality, masculine individuals. Since subconscious programming is a broad subject, do you think I've made... Yeah, so I kind of mentioned this earlier with the subconscious programming. That's fine, but you're not selling that. You're not selling subconscious programming. You're selling the outcome as a result of someone having used it. So if you focus on that, then you're going to be absolutely fine. Charlie, did you go to school? I did, yes. Um, Shell the holiday, not the plane ticket, exactly. Unless it's with Emirates. <laughs> Emirates is amazing. Um... Do, 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 do. Don't say that yet, exactly. Um, let's see these questions. Okay, I'm just going to go through these ones. Yeah, the grass isn't green on the other side, it's green away, you water it, exactly. W Darwin, love that. I'm 16 years old, I'm making 5 to 10k a month with TikTok, but I don't have a lot of time because of school and my parents still think I should go to university because they think it's the only path. How do I prove to them I don't need to go? You've kind of answered your own question, man. You have to realise that when you're 18, you get to make your own decisions. You're an adult. You should respect your parents because they have sacrificed an unholy amount of their life and time and energy to raise you. And so you should never resent them for wanting the best for you. This is a key important lesson because my parents didn't want me to drop out of uni. They've been so supportive and I love them and I'm so grateful for them. But there have been times where um, they haven't had the belief in me, which is fair because I didn't have the belief in me. I believed in who I was becoming and I could see that. If I went to my mum and I said, hey, but look at this document. I'm going to be fine. Like, look at this document. She'd be like, Charlie, come on, get a grip. And so when your parents tell you that they want you to go to university, they're doing it out of love. They're doing it because they want the best for you. And so what your, your job is to remember that and to remember that so long as intention is pure, resentment is not necessary. And demonstrate to them through your obscene, unholy work ethic that you're going to commit and do it. Because if they see you in your room at one in the morning, working, clicking away, tapping away, and they see the level of commitment, love and passion you put into it, you will change their mind. And if they think it's temporary, dude, you've got two years before you have to go to university. In two years, you can, you can, you can, you can crush it. So just remember that. Yeah, the ones that I see people talking about trial by fire um, in, on the YouTube channel. Go, go and watch trial by fire um, on my channel. I think Hamza's got a ton of videos on like pain avoidance stuff as well. Um, it's so important. How do you know when a section of the course is due to be updated? When a problem manifests and a pattern develops in the client pool? So, you know, if everyone's suddenly like, oh my God, like I can't, um, like, you know, this lead sourcing method is broken or like Google has like, for example, recently um, Google, all, all the Google domains were acquired by Squarespace. And so our cold email account configuration video was rendered obsolete. And we had like a ton of people post, like, how do I do it? So only when you have to, do you change something if it's already working? Lord of the Flies is based, I agree. Would you spend more time reading or more time doing notes? Um, well, this is with the reading tracker. Um, I, I wouldn't really concern yourself too much. This is the thing, dude, like, 
if you come across a piece of knowledge, like you don't want to try and read to read, you want to read to learn. A lot of people just read because they want to feel productive. I remember when I was in university, I would go to the library with like an intellectual looking book and sit there and read it because I wanted people to look at me reading. That was how my reading journey started. I was, it was such a narcissism, like insecurity play. I pick out the most obscene, like, you know, um, like on the nature of good and evil, but I had no idea what any of it meant. And I would read it and I'd sit there with it up like this so everyone could see me reading it. And so this is the problem like with reading is if you're not reading to learn, if you're just reading to read, you don't need to concern yourself with time when you read. This is the thing. Don't try and rush the book. Don't try and get through as many books as humanly possible as fast as you can. Because if the book has good things to say, I do if I there's been books that I've I've spent like three months reading. This course is by Epictetus is a primary example of that. But I reread that thing over and over again. So I wouldn't concern yourself too much with um, splitting the time up. Could we get the health tracker? Yeah, that's been done. How did consultant.com help you? Sam Evans changed my life. I'll just leave it at that. What tools or protocols are good for getting consistent in some smaller but important habits? The mechanism of your brain that um, runs your habits is called your basal ganglia. And it uses a universal mechanism for all of your habits. And so how you do one thing is how you do everything. The way you solve one problem is the way you solve all of them. It's a pattern machine. Your brain... On a, on a neurological, biological, chemical level, cannot tell the difference between the behavior of trying to go to bed on time and the behavior of trying to quit porn. It, your brain doesn't understand the difference. All it sees is impulse behavior stimulus response. When you're, when you're trying to look at these smaller habits and trying to find tools to be consistent with them, you're probably focusing on the wrong thing. Because if you've got everything on lock, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, Hamza, but I do. When I've got everything on lock, everything's on lock. Mm. When I've got nothing on lock, nothing's on lock. Some things might steer clear, like some things might stay in, like my identity will always lock in the YouTube thing. I've never been inconsistent with YouTube uploads before because my identity is tied so closely with it. But I've had months before my sleep's gone, my diet's gone, my good habits have gone, I'm not going to the gym, the complete self-sabotage. So understand that your brain uses a universal mechanism um, across the board for all of your behaviors and that you can't just isolate and pick one habit to improve. You kind of need to do them all. How do you keep undistracted. I'm assuming you mean how do you stay focused? The easiest way to achieve focus is through obliquity, which is through the opposite. So instead of trying to be focused, just try to not be distracted. If you ask yourself, how do you not be distracted? You just remove the source of the distraction. You need to do an audit on your environment and look at everything around you and just remove everything that can take you away from what you're trying to do. And so, for example, for those of you that have your phones on your desk right now, what you've got is literally a device in front of you that is making which is basically holding you back and making you less money be like trying to quit sugar and then keeping a cookie in your pocket all times you're going to eat the cookie so to be focused just try not to be distracted just remove things um julius actually asked you hamza uh, can you give advice on how to run a low ticket community before you had a course before you had a course on money on school but now it's changed on a low ticket community I'm not sure I understand the question. Yeah, I had a little mini course on how to make and sell your own community, but that was a while ago. And um, school changed so much, they've got their own sales um, built in now. So I removed the mm. course. Uh, teaching that's going to be, that's a whole separate other lesson, to be honest. I, I could give you like random little tips. It won't really help. We'll just do another call for it at a different point. Christian says, what do you do if you feel what you're passionate doesn't have a market? Yeah, dude, this is the this is a very backward thing, like, the idea that you need to chase your passion sometimes doesn't make sense because like I'm passionate about quickscoping. I don't do it anymore, but I used to be. But if I was like, what do I really love? Like, what do I really love doing? There's an element to this where you want to try and do things you love. 
because I love my work now. And I believe that it's very difficult and almost borderline impossible probably to truly work for something for years and years and years and years on end if you don't love it. So love is important. But to get started, you need pain. You don't need to worry about passion if you've got pain. If you're not happy with your current life, if your circumstances suck, if you're, you're broke, no women, like you're miserable, you're sad, you're, you're not the kind of person that you, know, you want your dream wife would be attracted to, all of that stuff you should understand, and that's what should drive you forward. And really, your first business probably won't be the business that you get to seven or eight figures. But what it will do is it will act as a training ground for you to develop the skills and you know the abilities and the belief systems for someone that can make 100 grand a month. And what will happen is you'll get to six figures in a random market that you might not care about, maybe multi-seven figures, sorry, multi-six figures. And then you'll find something you love, and then that opportunity will present itself. Here's an interesting quote for you guys. Um, I have been meditating on this for a long, long time. And this, I came up with this one probably about three years ago. And it's the, it's the fact that true pain manifests when the universe presents you with an opportunity that you didn't have the character to prepare for. And so that happened to me because four or five years ago, no, five, six years ago, um, I went on a date with an Instagram model. I don't know how, and I thought it went really well, and she didn't reply to me. And in hindsight, it's because I was this guy, I was dead skinny, dead broke, didn't, wasn't funny, I wasn't a good character, didn't really have anything going for me. And I realized that what had happened is the universe had given me this opportunity, but the years prior to that, I just hadn't been preparing for it. And so the point there with this question about the passion is the universe will present you with an opportunity for you to chase your passion. It will, eventually, but only if you're the person that's ready for it. And so what you want to do now is not concern yourself too much with loving the work or being passionate about it, but building a business and building something and just manifesting your potential through that thing so that when the universe does drop the dream thing in your lap, you're ready for it. Because I can tell you now, if I went back on a date with that girl at this point in my life, she'd be interested. I, I, I would hope. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe I still got a lot of work to do. But look, you, you see the point. It's, um, it, it extrapolates out. Brian says... Following what we've spoken about identity and self-image, I believe my best course of action is to go through the pain of changing who I am, work on my mind and my body and spirituality, and then once I am that version two of myself, work on the business. Is that a sound judgment? You're on the right lines, but here's the thing. By working on yourself, you are working on the business. There is no separation. You have to understand this. When you start a business, it's like all you're doing is you're putting a magnifying glass on your flaws. The things that are wrong with you your strengths and your weaknesses are being magnified by the business. And so the business really, to me at this point, my business represents the opportunity for me to develop as a person. Um, and it's the, it's kind of like the humans here and the business is put on top of them. And if the human has a problem, the business has a problem. So by working on your health and your spirituality and your mind and your body, you will develop the business because everything is upstream of you. How do you do meditation in the morning? I, I go back to sleep again. Um, yeah, either you're sleep deprived or um, you need to do like a cold shower or something beforehand, like something to like stimulate your nervous system to just prevent you from falling asleep. You mentioned in the YouTube video about creating positive feedback loop. You said that one person joining should have a net positive on the group. What's some actual ways of making that happen? So that someone being in the community doesn't scatter my attention away from my current customers. This is where you just build a, a group program. You do group coaching calls. You create... Um, courses that everyone can use and adding new people you'll be fine i would recommend having a subscription if you're doing high ticket you need to have a subscription that kicks in after six months otherwise the community will blow um like bloat up and become fat and then it's pretty useless what do you do 
to prevent yourself from self when you enter a period of self sabotage this is this sounds counterintuitive this is what i do the first thing to do is do not numb your emotional state because when you enter a period of self sabotage you'll eventually feel angry and shameful and guilty and miserable it is imperative that you sit with those emotions because those emotions are the things that will will slingshot you back out of that negative state if you if you essentially enter a period of self sabotage and you try to sedate yourself you know when you feel that emotion you you go and do something stupid just sit with the pain and here's the thing about nature and organisms because we are organisms you know by by biology like we only really do extreme things when we're in extreme pain it's the is the easiest way to get someone to move if i've got a sales rep that hasn't performed and i've got a one on one with them instead of doing it all all i'll do is just make them feel pain i'll just say like dude how do you feel about last week they're like oh i kind of went like okay like i think this week could be better i'm like you're coping last week was terrible and you should be ashamed of yourself and you know that but what you're doing is you're telling yourself that next week will be better to sedate the shame mm-hmm. but the shame is the thing that will push you forward so you need to stare the monster in the eyes and look at the pain right hands on it cuz he knows what's yeah, good and this is why cope is so dangerous this is why if you are in a, in a rut and you're in a self sabotage mode and you tell yourself it's fine cuz I'll go to bed on time tonight or it's fine because like I'm I'm just not going to eat carbs tomorrow it's all cope all of that is all of that is delusion and denial generated by yourself to avoid these negative emotions that you don't want to feel and so the best way to get out of self sabotage and the best way to break, break out of the rut is allow yourself to feel those bad emotions because this by nature you're facing the pain how do we become he who can well we understand that um it's just pain the more pain you go through which is just when effort meets resistance the better and for as long as you're coping you're kind of screwed you know i i i'd have ruts before you know and then i'd be like um i'd be in a terrible state then i'd go and watch like a self improvement video on youtube and feel better about it because like hey at least i'm making some progress but that's just cope you know it's like all of that's cope away from the shame i think to me that looks like all the questions which by some miracle we seem to have got through um <laughs> I want to thank you guys and also Hamza for for having me. I truly love this stuff and I'm I'm really glad that um I've I've been able to share it with you. Hamza, thank you so much man. Really grateful for you. Well, thank you. And also you. dude, like I just wanted to I've never I know we've never actually had like a call before, but you you Hamza alone have like you changed my life in ways that you couldn't even comprehend. With your videos and stuff, like I've been watching you for like probably about year, year and a half. Some of the stuff you you made I'm like, she's why didn't I think of that? <laughs> like it's genius. and I'm really grateful and I also know you've had a massive impact on my brother and his mindset and stuff like Fred stopped gaming recently Come this on. is also like an identity I see Fred in the chat yes, and he's no he longer is. a gamer so now everyone knows it like it's his identity you know like Double he's done Fred <laughs> <laughs> but dude um I'm so grateful for you man like honestly I love you to bits and um thank you so much for the work you do and also for having me I've I've really enjoyed W Fred X Quicksilver. <laughs> <laughs> no, Fred was one of those sweaty Fortnite builders, you know. Emphasis on was like he he built shit real fast. Um I don't know what's the protocol for under these ones out, man. Is there anything to to do here? Yeah, we'll close up. Uh, first of all, I appreciate your time and we only said that you'd do this for an hour, but we've doubled that as well. We know how valuable. How much do you charge for an hour of your time? Um, like 10 grand. Huh? <laughs> right, so I'm going to send everyone a strike payment. Yeah, like, yeah, we're all going to pitch in together, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll invoice you after this. I'll send all of you guys now. I'm happy with you. 
um, I just wish, like, dude, if I had someone sit down with me, like, when I was, like, 18, 19, and tell me all this shit, I would have, it was, I, life would have still sucked because you still got to go through the pain, but it, I would have, you know, got there a lot faster. But um, I, I am actually four minutes late for a meeting. So, everyone, thank nice. you, everyone, for coming. I truly wish you all the best. And I'm so grateful for you coming to um, ask questions and um, let me rant basically for two hours. And um, can we also get some W's in the chat for Hamza? I'm sure you've all loved him as much as you do, but just, just get some of those in there. Look at that. <laughs> thank you. All boys. right, boys. I'll leave nice you all to Hamza. I love you, man. Nice one, brother. Thank you for coming today, Take care, man. See you guys. That was awesome. That was so valuable. Two hours as well. Let me... uh, My jaw's hurting from smiling so much, man. (laughs) Let me unmute everyone. We'll have a little few minutes and then I'm going to go eat after this. Uh, Yeah. There you go. Huge, huge value. Goddamn. That was good. That was so valuable, That was amazing. Bro, to have a, a guy who's making eight million a year come in and spit game for two hours, fuck. And he oh, walked the talk thinking my business, man. <laughs> I really hope this call years. recording's not gonna glitch out. Really, <laughs> <laughs> sweet. I'm so, gonna well, get I off. I was in voice. a cafe. I, I was there for two hours in one cafe. They were just staring at me, waiting for me to order and I order a coffee because I didn't even sit down in one. But I didn't want to get up and miss any of the people. That's so good, man. No, but that was amazing. And honestly, props to you guys. Two hours of that. It's like it proves your attention span. If you're still here right now, it, it, it there's so much respect I have for you. The fact that you've sat through that. Obviously, it was like it was entertaining and, and you know it was enjoyable to listen to. But majority of people would not be able to sit through a two-hour call like that. So the fact that you've got that attention span and you've listened and you've educated yourself like this, that this was a in my opinion a phenomenal like deep work task that you've just done for yourself so we've all got like an action step there was at least one or or a couple of things that we could implement from what we've learned i'll go upload this call recording right now but if you can think like recap from your own memory it'll help you to remember and implement straight after i leave this call just go and spend like a few minutes recapping without looking at the call recording the most important things that you remember that he said and what exactly you're going to implement maybe today or tomorrow and also what we'll do is right now um everyone's able to unmute their mic so as i go off now you can stay inside of the call and just like discuss some of the things that you've learned as well so hope you guys found that valuable today that'll be in the chat oh, boys thank you so much Hamza. nice one boys i'm off take care everyone bye yeah, yeah have a good one.